Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And I got a bunch of stuff to get through. Well, you know, it's been seven days and I've got seven movies, a movie a day, which is, which I feel great about because that is what I, it is what I want out of life is to see a movie that I haven't seen before every day. It's not always possible, but that is uh, always my goal. So that's what I did this week. And I will start with, now I, 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 debated with myself whether or not to even get into this topic but i guess i wanted to say that i feel very definitively about it which is that you've heard me talk about the uh um i guess last week i talked about mangrove the uh first of the small acts movies and uh uh, because uh, as i said like people amazon is presenting it as a mini series um and and IMDb is listing it as a TV series. Um, there's been uh, discussion because I think people like to discuss these things, not because they actually are uh, torn about it. Or like, sure. is this a movie or is it a TV series? Right. No, it's a collection of movies. That's what it is. It's five movies. Um, there's no. <laughs> it's it doesn't seem that difficult to me, uh, especially since the first three of the five small X movies played festivals virtual festivals but still festivals that's been that's usually been with things like oj made in america that's usually been a pretty definitive like okay we can consider this a movie it played a standalone it played on its own as a festival at a festival whatever so i just wanted to get out there and say that uh the small x movies are movies according to me and i will start by talking about the second small axe movie and the best of the three that i've seen so far and in fact one of the best films i've seen in 2020 and that is lovers rock okay um which there's no uh i, I <laughs> there's no apostrophe or anything it's not the rock of lovers I, but it's I also not yeah. like yeah, lovers rock man yeah exactly. apparently lovers rock is like a sort of sub 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 genre of reggae rock steady music that tends to be love songs usually sung by women anyway i didn't know that until even watching the movie that doesn't come up it wasn't until i was writing my review for the <laughs> to post on the website that i was researching it that i realized that's where the title comes from is it's a a sub genre of of this of this uh, uh music so um but anyway, I, I, uh, that's not really what the, <laughs> what the movie's about, but I wanted to address that. Um, I was uh, curious. Uh, I'm glad. Um, well, there's also a Sade album called Lover's Rock, uh, but that came out in like 2000, and this movie takes place, I think, late 70s or early 80s. It's It never says. Mm. Um, and we don't get that many context clues because this is one of those all in one night movies. It's a, it's a party movie. It's like a can't hardly wait type of type of movie. Um, not as overtly comedic though. It has funny stuff in it, but, uh, it really is very straightforward. You see there's with the exception of a few people like taking the bus to the party or getting ready at home or whatever, really the entire movie takes place in this house. You see the house during the daytime, people setting up for the party, they're setting up the speakers and the sound system. They're uh, setting up the sort of uh, making a bar where they're going to be selling uh, beers for, you know, red stripes for one pound each or whatever. Uh, So you see that people start to arrive. The party happens. It's like people are dancing inside. People are hanging out outside. 
uh and then that's the whole movie and then like you see little glimpses of the next morning and that's it that's it um and i uh i love that type of movie um and i think this one I, I, I compare it to things that are all in one night, like can't hard the way days confused American graffiti or whatever. But this is so much more about just the party. There's very little, there's some storylines, but there's very little like that you know about these people. There's very little uh, to, to follow. There is the, the maybe the main couple. Uh, there's a young woman and a well-dressed man who meet at the party and sort of like have a fun time and get to know each other. And they're the ones you see the next morning or whatever. Um, and that's the closest we get to like a storyline, but really this is just a party, uh, a party yeah, instead of a party as the backdrop to something like can't hardly wait is the right. example I keep going to. Um, the party is the, is the thing here. Uh, it's people dancing to music, singing along to music. The music is very, very crucial, very important. So there, some of it is, uh, um, there's some recognizable songs that, uh, for, for people who aren't into rock steady and lovers rock and stuff like that, like, uh, everybody was Kung Fu fighting, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> plays, but, uh, a lot of these, these very specific songs that I didn't really know. Um, and that's, that's what these people are there to do, to come together, to hang out, to, to dance, um, and be close. It's, it's a, it's very difficult in COVID times to watch because it made me yearn for like, Oh, I want to be around people. I want to be at a concert or a party or, you know, people having a good time. It's some, you know, uh, we can't do that right now, but, um, uh, the, the music is what brings them together. Uh, the, the, maybe the the highlight scene that people keep talking about in the movie and maybe the best scene in the movie but uh uh it's got a lot of contenders because there's a lot of great scenes is uh at one point the dj is playing it's sort of a slower song couples are dancing and stuff okay. and everyone's everyone knows this song it's called silly games i didn't i didn't know it before now i know it um and they're all singing along and then the dj just sort of like drops the music out and we get a room full of people just singing the entire song. And the only other thing we hear is just like their feet, you know, stopping or shuffling as they dance around on the floorboards. And it goes on for the entire length of, of a song. It's a really, really great scene. And it's the kind of thing. And here you are having not, not even knowing the song and these, I know what an idiot. the whole thing memorized. What an idiot. I know, but it's, it's one of those, I, I feel like in watching these small X things, I'm seeing, cause I've always been this Steve McQueen skeptic as a director. Yeah, me too. Uh, and I'm seeing him apply those very, like, very uh, conspicuous tricks like that. You know, these long, uh, uh, you know, long takes are very, like, uh, uh, I talked about with Mangrove, uh, you know, very um, uh, unconventional sort of camera angles, just holding on to those while things happen around it. Like, the, the kind of stuff that seems showy to me uh, in, in things like shame and, uh, yeah. and 12 years a slave. And to some extent, even in widows, uh, they feel so much more motivated here. I don't know why he just seems to be in a groove, uh, uh at least, especially with the first two movies of, of the small X, uh, anthology, I guess we'll call it. Um, moving on, uh, cause I've got a few to get to before we toss to you. Uh, I think, okay. Um, there was a question on the, uh, Patreon a while back. And I can't remember if this was the exact question or just if we ended up talking about, do you remember what was the first movie you and I, just you and I saw together? 
Because I think the first movie we saw together was Fight Club with a big group of people. Uh, I think that's I think that is probably true. Yes. But, but do you remember what was the first movie that just you and I saw together? It came up on this Patreon episode, but this was pre you having two babies. So your brain might not have retained it. Uh, was it the filth and the fury? I believe it was Julian Temple's the filth and the fury. Okay. Yeah. And I mentioned that because Julian Temple is back in everyone away. This guy actually is very prolific, but he's Julian Temple is back with a new movie called crock of gold. That is a, uh, uh, a documentary about Shane McGowan of the oh, Pokes. Okay. Pokes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, word of warning to Pogues fans: This is not a documentary about the Pogues. The Pogues don't even come. The movie's over. It's like two hours and ten minutes long, and it's over halfway into the movie before the Pogues even right. come into it. This is a documentary about Shane McGowan. There's a lot of Pogues music in it, um, and other Shane McGowan uh, stuff in it. But um, how, how how big of a role does like discussion of like dental work play uh, <laughs> they don't actually address the dental okay. work at, at all it's they definitely address his drinking um yeah. because he's been drinking since he was around five years old i mean that's that's the uh he tells uh <laughs> at julian temple kind of in a, in a cheeky way leaves in two different versions of his <laughs> like mm. at one of his first drink stories so you should be going maybe a bit of a he's a storyteller obviously he's a great yeah. lyricist um the uh, uh, one thing I will warn audiences about is the maybe the, after the the production company logos, the first words that appear on the screen are Johnny Depp presents, and Johnny Depp, who has apparently been friends with Shane McGowan for twenty something years, um, is in the movie. Uh, there are scenes of him. Uh, there's sort of two different Julian Temple does some actual like interviews with people, but then he also does something that, uh, do you, did you ever see that? Um, the Harry Dean Stanton documentary, partly fiction. No, I didn't. So what, what I, I can't remember what, um, her name was who directed that, but, uh, what she did is instead of interviewing people, she just had the different people sit down with Harry Dean Stanton. Mm -hmm. and, and so like David Lynch or Chris Gustafson, whatever, uh, Chris Gustafson are, instead of talking to the camera, they're just talking to Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. There's a lot of that in this too. You've got Bobby Gillespie from primal scream. That's been like an older uh, interview. Um, uh, and you've got Johnny Depp, uh, uh, you've got, um, Shane McGowan and his wife. You've got all these little things where people just in conversation drinking the entire time. Um, it almost seems like, uh, even it seems like every person interviewed in the movie has a drink in their hand while they're being yeah. interviewed almost in like tribute to one of the things that Shane McGowan is best known for. But, um, I don't, that's not the same. I don't think the movie is actually buying into that romanticism of his of shane mcgowan's alcoholism sure. uh, i mean there's just the fact of his i don't know if you've seen shane mcgowan late, lately just his physical state at the age of 62 uh, or probably 60 or 61 when this was shot um is not it doesn't look like oh boy i want to spend my entire life drinking and look like right. you know this sort of doughy pasty can't even sit upright there are uh everything that Shane McGowan says in the movie is subtitled because of how much he slurs, yeah. uh, his, his words. Um, but, uh, so I don't think the movie is celebrating that, but it's also not trying to ignore the, the drinking part of, uh, of yeah. but, uh, so it, so there's, there's a thing that I often say though, about documentaries, about bands or about musicians, which yeah. is, 
is this would I be better served by just listening to this person's music for two hours? Uh, and I think Julian Temple actually um, does find a reason to make this beyond just um, uh, celebrating Shane McGowan. The interesting thing that keeps coming up is that Shane McGowan obviously is an Irishman, but was born in England mm. and schooled in England and the Pogues, were a London band. In fact, one of the persons interviewing interviewed says the Pogues could not have come out of Ireland. The Pogues. So, so the Pogues aren't necessarily to him and the way Julian Temple presents it. The Pogues aren't like an Irish band. They're a band that represent what it represents, what it means to be iron Irish outside of Ireland. Cause that sure. was, that was Shane McGowan's experience, uh, in, in, in London, both as a boy and a, as part of the punk rock scene, Shane McGowan is also, long been preoccupied with uh the um irish who went to america during the uh the great hunger is what it's called in the movie not the famine of the potato famine um right they call it the great hunger uh you know songs thousands are sailing and then body of an american and obviously fairy tale of new york which is uh, his biggest song um uh i'll uh, i'll take place in in the u.s there's it, that it, it, so it, the movie gets into this idea of Irish identity outside of Ireland. I, mean, I think that's, uh, uh, it's very interesting. Um, other things that are interesting, I mentioned fair, fairy tale of New York and I guess I'm just, I, this hadn't occurred to me that the Pogues were never like a big band in the U S not really, you know, they were always a little bit under the radar. Right. Um, I hadn't realized how huge a hit fairy tale of New York was in the UK. Um, the, the people, Shane McGowan and like other people interviewed literally seemed to talk about his career or his mental health or his physical health pre and post fairy tale. Like that, mm. that song completely changed his life. Um, uh, in, in most ways for the worst, he doesn't seem to think very highly of that song. Um, or at least he doesn't, he, he doesn't like performing it. Uh, also the woman, Christy McCall, who does the duet. Do you know the song? It's a, the, I, the Christmas, yes, the Christmas yeah, I, song. Yeah. I, I like the Pogues. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so do I, although that's one of the, I'm never like a closet fan of anything, but I do, I like the Pogues a lot, but I also know there's a certain type of guy who's really into the Pogues that I like, yeah. don't necessarily want to, to be, you don't have to worry about that. Cause you're not a, like a drinker, you know, no one's going to think like, Oh, this guy, the Pogues are his identity, but there is that guy, that type of guy right. who's like, I listen to the Pogues and dropkick Murphy's and flogging Molly. Got it. Um, yeah. And I, so I'm always a little cautious, but, uh, so Christian McCall died, you know, um, at a fairly young age. So, uh, Shane McGowan doesn't seem to like that. You know that he uh, the song makes him sad in that way, and also yeah. it completely changed his his life. Um, but uh, I've gone on too long. But um, but I think this is one of the rare good uh, musician <laughs> bio docs. Yeah. Um, moving on to all right. So this one hasn't come out yet, but uh, a new documentary from. Uh, I think it's Victor. Well, he made the movie Aquarella uh, a couple of years back, which I um, really liked. Uh, his name is Victor Kosakowski. <laughs> and he's back with a new movie called Gunda. I don't know what Gunda means. I'm going to guess it means pig. Okay. Because it is a documentary about pigs. It's actually a documentary that takes place on a farm. There's no 
human involvement you maybe kind of see like humans in the background there's no dialogue at all in the movie it is just 90 minutes of black and white white shots of a pig it starts with a pig giving birth to piglets and then we kind of follow the pigs taking care of these piglets at a um you know you know in their early pigletness um but also you check in with the chickens and you check in with the cows um and it's very beautiful and at times very cute you know there's a 10 fucking piglets in the movie obviously it's very cute but it's also not the movie is not um pulling punches about what life for an animal on a farm is you know so it's there are things that are upsetting in it too there's also a great uh, and this was kind of with the the thing with aquarella too which is a, a documentary about water essentially um it was kind of a climate change documentary in many ways but it is a similar thing it didn't really have any commentary it was just like here's the state of water in its different states, you know, liquid frozen, ga- frozen gaseous or whatever across the world in the, in the year 2018 or whatever. Um, uh, and that movie was often very fun and cute, but also like you literally saw people like fall through the ice and die in that movie. So it was, mm. uh, that, you know, that, that seems to be Victor Korakowski's Kosakowski or Korakowski. No, I can't remember. I keep looking it up. Kosakowski. Um, so Gunda is, is, is very cute, but it also has, uh, like I said, some heavy stuff. It also has a sense of humor. The way that I really, I really feel like the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the cow board or whatever of America should be very happy with this movie sure. because it presents cows in a way like normally you see cows as being like, maybe they're cute in like a sort of like big dumb, like they stand around chewing their cut or whatever, but he shows cows like being out of the barn and running like in slow motion with like this, like soaring music. Like it's like the way that we normally see horses yeah, on film is how like, we get to see cows as like majestic and it's kind of cool. Um, uh, and so, uh, uh, on the other hand, the chicken defamation council should have a lawsuit chickens, come out of this movie looking just dumb as fuck oh man so cow stock went through the roof when this movie came out uh or i guess it hasn't come out yet uh yeah it hasn't come out yet but um like i you know i um uh i had a talk because i watched i watched it with my wife she's a vegetarian and i had to talk like the pigs are so there's something so human about a pig taking care of its piglets and i know the pigs are smart uh pigs is as smart as dogs as we learned in young guns um um the amount that you bring up young guns and young guns too because i watched them all the time as a kid yeah um were there other movies you watched as a kid because again like yes. disproportionately it feels like like your parents only had two vhs's yeah. and you just watched them constantly um uh so like at the end of the movie i was talking to my wife about like this is like it might be a while before i want to have pork or bacon or hammer or anything like that again um did not feel that way about chicken have eaten chicken since watching this movie couldn't wait Pause the movie got got yourself some uh let's see do you prefer well i mean to the degree that anybody prefers like uh uh like fast food chicken do you prefer a, a popeyes or a kfc oh way more of a popeyes sure. yeah um yeah and part of that is that well because uh, there's no longer a kfc in north hollywood they turned it into a one of those drive through starbucks the ones oh, the really? one over you know like um it's a by like uh oh i know the one you're talking about 
it's yeah. on uh it's, it's on, on Lancashire, yeah, but yeah. where we're camera we're like Lancashire and Vineland and Camry all come yeah. together it's like right around there yeah listeners don't care but um so yeah i'm trying to think where the nearest kfc is maybe um uh hollywood way and van owen anyway that's in burbank that's yeah. <laughs> neither here nor there but uh yeah kfc's like um too greasy i think for me yeah. um i used to like the twisters uh yeah. those little like flour like wraps flour tortilla wraps um but yeah popeye's uh far and away yeah yeah Sorry, um, I was just curious. It's uh, I, I know you like to talk about fast food sometimes. I do. Well, you know what's even closer to me? What's that? Different, an entirely different take on chicken, but it has chicken in the name. El Pollo Loco. There, oh, there. Sure. I'm, I'm like equidistant between two El Pollo Locos, um, uh, El Pollos Locos, um, and uh, big fan of of of, of them. Um, and then, do you know El Pollo Campero? I, I, yes, I do. There's that's one a, right by me. Yeah, yeah. Those that's really good. I feel like um, in Breaking Bad, Los Pollos Hermanos. Sure. I feel like it's based on El Pollo Campero. It seems to be a very similar menu and approach mm. to uh, to to chicken. Anyway, my, you got uh, me off topic here. Sorry, my brother and his wife were in town um, uh, the other day, and so they came over and and uh, helped us with the kids and and all that. And uh, my brother, he goes. He says, Hey, uh, by the way, I meant to ask you, you know, we're, we're kind of in this weird, uh, renaissance of, uh, chicken strips. Like all these places are opening that just like specialize in chicken strips. He's like, what do you, what do you think of that? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm glad you asked because I do have an opinion, which is that, uh, it's not merely chicken strips. It's that these places tend to be, tend to focus on like hot chicken strips. I was going to ask, yeah, you know, which is not your thing, right? It, which is not my thing. No. Um, you can get them, uh, mild, uh, as I have from one or two of these places, but even then it's, it is usually a little bit spicier than I prefer. Um, two things. One, I don't know if it's in the recording or not, but now your audio sounds weird. It sounded fine at the beginning to me, but now it sounds oh, weird. Okay. Um, is it, what, it sounds weird now. See, now it doesn't, I don't know. I don't know what it was anyway. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I have not been to Howland Ray's, uh, in Los Angeles, which is like the one that everyone talks about as the hot chicken, uh, place to go in Los Angeles. But, um, I'm going to get on my high horse here. Okay. I'm not willing and willing to wait in line for white people getting rich, selling black people food in Chinatown. It's too many layers of gentrification for me. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm opposed to Holland Ray's, uh, in, in the, I don't know why, maybe they do a lot of community outreach and, and sure. donations and stuff. I don't know. I just like the concept of like seeing just in general, seeing what Chinatown, how, how, how much of Chinatown like has been taken over by non-Chinese food, and restaurants not owned by Chinese people, uh, is a, is a bummer to me. There's also like uh, burger Lords, which is, um, the rare, I don't know if you've heard about burger Lords, but it was a mm. burger like place that had like meat burgers and vegan burgers. And then at one point they were like, you know what? We're going full vegan. <laughs> was, I've never seen a place do that before, but, uh, yeah. I guess good for them. Um, there's not many places I, that would work. I gotta say, I think yeah. uh, Los Angeles, it could work. Yeah. Um, but here in North Hollywood, we have Dave's Hot Chicken, uh, which is really close uh, to me. There's, I think, a few of those around Los Angeles. Um, and that's really good. I feel like uh, uh, I've become... 
the opposite of, of you I, uh, and the opposite of what I hear about other people as they get older. I, my tolerance for spiciness keeps getting greater. Mm. Uh, like I've, I've gotten to the point where when I go to the Thai place near me, they ask me like one to, you know, one to five, how, how, how spicy do you want? And I, I say five, um, wow. uh, uh, and, and yeah, with the, um, I think with Dave's hot chicken, I go just one below the, like, it's always, there's always like the, it's like mild, hot, extra hot right and then there's like some crazy yeah. thing I, I should, nuclear holocaust yeah well like i shouldn't that. because the birthday boys did an entire sketch about that uh, okay. uh which is uh very funny um anyway uh, i think we're done talking chicken right uh, yeah sure okay so back on back to my fourth film before i toss to you uh the fourth thing i watched is the third small axe movie it's called red white and blue and has nothing to do with the united states of america uh, mm. uh john boyega plays leroy logan a real life um person who was a um scientist who after his father was um assaulted by two white police officers decided to abandon his career path and become a police officer to essentially like try to affect change from the inside sure um and uh i don't know how successfully the movie i'm, I'm not entirely sure it's my least favorite of the three it's still very compelling but it feels at 80 minutes it feels truncated it only tells the first you know because if you look up leroy logan you learn about his you know activism he remained a cop until like 2013 and he like founded these sort of like police you know uh, watchdog groups uh and stuff like that um it doesn't get into that later stuff it really just like has his the sort of inciting incident of his his father's attack we see him in the academy and then we see his early days on the job um and and that's kind of it uh and I, uh, maybe I need to watch it again. I'm not entirely sure what he's going for here because it almost, the movie feels almost cynical. I think in the way that it seems to be saying it, it would be possible to take away from this movie, the idea that, well, maybe you can't change a corrupt institution from the inside. It doesn't come out and say that, but also there's the fact that like, this was the early eighties when he joined the police force. It's not like policing. It's not like, uh, uh, racism and policing has gone away. So maybe you can't, maybe that is what he believes, but I don't think the movie seems to, uh, uh, feel that strongly about how it wants you to feel about it. I'm not saying I want the movie to like offer answers to me. It just seems like it didn't even get done asking the question, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, I would say the, the thing that's most fascinating about it is that, you know, his, a lot of his family and friends in, in the black community don't want him to become a cop. They see them as the occupying force as the enemy. Um, and so when he goes off to Academy, it's like a six week Academy or whatever. Um, we're like, Oh boy, this is going to be rough. And then the entire Academy, uh, like sequence of the movie, he's like, he's encouraged for speaking out about problems. He's, uh, his, he makes friends among the white uh, cadets and the instructors are all like, I'll have his back. And there's a bit of like, uh, uh, wow, this wasn't what I expected. And then, but then that seems very intentional because then the second he gets a real like posting sure. in a police force, it's nothing but resistance and uh, abuse at some cases or just 
neglect, you know, calling for backup when he needs it and no one showing up uh, uh, and things like that. So um, the movie takes you through these like uh, different uh, emotional sets you up for different uh, uh, expectations and then um, subverts them. And then I feel like it just kind of ends in a way that I'm not necessarily opposed to the like abrupt ending in a movie. There's times yeah. that's worked, but I, I would say this movie while being very well made. And I really like John Boyega as an actor. Um, uh, I, I always have, um, he seems like, uh, I don't know. I know that he's like a good looking guy or whatever, but he doesn't seem like a, he doesn't seem like a movie star to me. He seems like kind of a, a regular guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when, when it like, uh, uh, with him and like Oscar Isaac together in the stars movies, like Oscar Isaac sure. is a movie star, right? Yes. yes. Uh, uh, John Boyega just seems like a, a good bloke, I guess to, to use uh, his, uh, uh, his countryman's terms. Um, I wish that I, I wish that I responded better to John Boyega. I don't dislike him at, at all. Um, and I wouldn't say that he is like without charm, uh, but I, I, I totally know what you mean. Like, I don't see him as a, as a movie star, nor is I think he, nor am I, nor do I think that he is trying to be a movie star. Um, but I, I definitely feel like there's a, it might just be that he commits to his characters so much that he refuses to bring too much charisma to the screen. Uh, and so I, I tend to find him kind of forgettable. I, I feel terrible saying that, uh, or it could be a situation where I tend to like it when he's bouncing off of someone like a Daisy Ridley or an Oscar Isaac, mm. and then he sort of rises to that level of chemistry, but he doesn't, for me, he doesn't really have it on his own, uh, that, the, the, the watchability that some actors do. It's, I think, again, it's uh, not that he's me, bad. This is not for me. I, this is not for me a Will Patton situation. Right. I, I, I respect him, and I think he does a fine job, but I just never really respond to him. Um, no, I, I I definitely think he has watchability. I just think it's a different kind of, yeah. of watchability. I feel like I could hang out with John Boyega. I don't know. I don't know if, sure. that, if I really could, but that's the the feeling that I that I get. Uh, Let's call uh, him up and you yeah. know, see if he's uh, after this is all over. See if he wants to come on over. There's also a um, uh, there's a brief. So I, I mentioned the movie takes place in 1983. Uh, and there's a part where he tells his friend, "I'm thinking about joining the force," and his friend says, "What do you want to be a Jedi?" Yeah, I That's don't. Cute. I don't love that. <laughs> um, All right, your okay. turn. So, David, oh my gosh, there there were two separate instances in which you were talking about your your movies, and uh, and they would it would have been such a fun uh, transition into the film that I have to talk about. Um, well, it sounds like right now you're getting there very naturally. I guess so. Yeah. Well, you know, David, we've been at this a while. Anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, the film is, I'm, I'm probably going to screw up the, the name of the director, um, uh, Agnieszka, Agnieszka, Holland? Agnieszka Holland's uh, Mr. Jones, um, which came out uh, last year. And it is about Gareth Jones, the uh, Welsh journalist in the early 1930s, who was the first to like break the story about the man-made famine in Ukraine. And, uh, and the subsequent burying of him in every definition of that word, um, oh. because, uh, he, uh, at the time, of course, uh, in capitalist countries like the U S like great Britain, um, Soviet Russia was seen as like the, maybe the last, like, like a beacon of hope, uh, because of the great depression and, and all of that. 
And, um, and certainly Soviet Russia was putting itself out there as that. Uh, and uh, Gareth Jones was wondering like, well, where are they getting the, like, how are they paying for all this amazing stuff that's going on in their country? So he started to investigate. And that's when he discovered that in Ukraine, essentially, I don't know how you do this. And then I realized, oh yes, with tremendous force, uh, Stalin was essentially taking every last scrap of food from Ukraine uh, and all of their grain and just transporting it to Moscow so that he could feed the masses and then doing everything he could to hide the story. Like millions of people died. It was a, it was a man-made famine. So when you mentioned the potato famine, I was thinking of that. Um, and uh, so Gareth Jones like finagles his way into Moscow and then gets to the, gets to Ukraine and is astonished at what he finds. Cause he certainly wasn't expecting that. Uh, he wasn't expecting uh, there's a very uh, harrowing scene that I think is beautifully uh, realized where he is uh, taken in by like these three like young children who, whose parents are gone at this point. Um, and they feed him just like little scraps of meat. And he asks like, where'd you get this? And they say, Oh, our older brother. Uh, and that's when you realize like their older brother did not get this for him, for them. Uh, it is their older brother. And uh, the moment that you, the of realization is, very effective because the whole thing is so much of the film is realized visually, which I really appreciate. Like they don't really spell out everything until you have already gotten it. And then the characters like come to this realization. Um, so being, uh, you know, fascinated by Soviet history, um, I was always interested in this particular story, even more so because of Walter Duranty. I don't know if you know who Walter Duranty is. No. Um, he's a piece of shit. He's dead okay. now. Um, but he was a British journalist stationed in Moscow who really bought into the revolution. He really liked the idea of it. And he knew about the famine for a while and actively lied about it. Uh, mm. Like it would have absolutely changed like the, the way the world regarded Soviet Russia. Uh, and it's not merely that he, that he, uh, you know, ignored it. He knew about it. And then when Gareth Jones reported it, Durante did everything he could to, to uh, bury him and and, wow. and and deny it. Incidentally, Walter Durante got a Pulitzer Prize. It has, he was working for the New York Times. It has not been revoked yet um, to this day. Uh, Peter Sarsgaard plays Walter Durante, and it's a really good performance, actually, because you also see, on top of everything else, because it's suggested, like, you know, what are the how much are the Russians paying you and blah, blah, blah. But you also realize, like, no, he is just in it. He is on board for the revolution. And the real, the real Walter Durante... When, when stuff started coming out and he still downplayed the severity of the famine, but one thing that he is on record as saying is you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs, um, which is a line set in the film. So, uh, yeah, anything I personally, uh, the film is very much in favor of journalism, but it also recognizes that like when you incorporate your own viewpoint, even if, even if there's a scene as a nobility to that, like you act as though, your job is not to judge, but at the same time, if you're, if what you're saying is fact or fiction is, is dictated by what you believe, then you're essentially making a judgment. And so, uh, so it's a really great journalism film. Mm. Uh, and it's, and it's, it's photographed really beautifully. It's acted really beautifully. Um, there is a weird, um, framing device that I don't think is a hundred percent necessary in which, uh, George Orwell, uh, is writing Animal Farm. Uh, so this gets back to the other film that you were talking about. Uh, you know, right. uh, he's talking about pigs and all that. Um, and 
the thing that I think strikes me as interesting, it, again, going back to kind of capturing the mindset of the time is there comes a moment where like Orwell meets Jones and Orwell says like, Hey, it's important for you to say the truth no matter what. And then Jones does and Orwell who at this, at that particular moment is still kind of on board with what Soviet Russia is doing. And then he hears that and he's like, yeah, but that can't, that, that can't be true. Right. Like, and even if it is, I mean, surely this Russian experiment, I mean, surely uh, it's not going to be perfect. Like he, he's, he so was on, he so wanted it to be true. And that was the case for New York times. That was the case for Walter Durante. And they so wanted this to be true because it was a hopeful situation for them with the U S and depression and all that, um, that mm. you, you see people being reluctant to acknowledge what is just there. And you realize that that is also a thing that, that Gareth Jones is up against. So, um, it's a really good movie. I guess I've spoiled a lot of it, but the, but, I already knew everything that happened and I yeah. still, and I still enjoyed it to the degree that you can enjoy something that is as harrowing as that. And, uh, and be, and being a fan of journalism movies as I am, there is that as well, where it shows really, really fatally bad journalism and really intrepid journalism. And, uh, yeah, I, I recommend it highly. I really liked it. That, uh, Agnieszka Holland, who's in her seventies at this point, she yeah. like, she works constantly. She's constantly, constantly. Ch- uh, churning out, uh, movies or episodes of TV shows or something like, uh, yeah. good for her. Uh, and I didn't I like realize that. that she was, uh, she was like a, a contributor to all three of the, uh, the, uh, three colors. Oh, okay. as, as a writer. Oh. Um, but yeah, she's, she directed episodes of the wire and uh, Treme and, uh, the affair, the affair. Yeah. and house of cards and all kinds of things listeners who are not paid patrons are like, why oh, did they right. just say the affair in unison? It's because I just watched all of the affair. Right. Yes. Uh, check out patreon.com slash battleship pretension. Here are monthly TV journals exactly. in which I talk about the affair. Uh, and uh, the most recent one that's, uh, that, that I guess, uh, is, has just gone up, um, uh, or yes. is going up. No, just, uh, I talk about the end of the affair, but not the Neil Jordan movie. There you go. All right. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay. I wish I'll, I could get to the point where I could just ignore that, but I'm, I haven't gotten used to it yet. I'll uh, burn through my last three here. Uh, I watched a very cute documentary um, that's essentially a feature length advertisement or recruitment ad. Uh, it's called Dear Santa. Okay. It's about the U.S. Post Office, U.S. Postal Service's Operation Santa program in which Basically, if you're a family in need, your kid can write a letter to Santa, like you specify a a certain address and that way Mm. they, the post office knows, okay, this is an Operation Santa thing. And then volunteers like adopt letters and try and actually get presents and stuff for, for families, uh, who are, who are struggling. It's a great, uh, uh, program. It's, um, yeah. the movie is obviously full of tear jerking moments, but it's all, also incredibly cute as I, as I mentioned, um, maybe the cutest thing about it is that the movie never breaks kayfabe about who this is. Like, mm-hmm. so the postal workers who work for operation Santa are elves. They introduce themselves right. so, Not like not even just the movie, but even when they're being interviewed, they talk about like, well, I'm an elf at the New York city branch. And when I uh, t- uh, interviewed with Santa for this job, he told me that like, so you could watch this movie with your like young kid. Um, uh, and you know, without worrying about, you know, breaking the spell or, or, or whatever. Um, so that's very cute. Uh, and then obviously it, the movie has a lot of very touching stuff. There's like a family 
who uh one of the one of the families who who right in uh lost their home and all the their belongings in the uh the fire in paradise california um uh so there's very touching movie stuff but it's also just ridiculously cute stuff there's maybe my favorite kid uh who's <laughs> I, mean, I can't remember his, his letter to santa his his list his wish list for santa was 10 dutch bunnies food for dutch bunnies a book on how to take care of dutch bunnies <laughs> um, uh, it's 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 real cute uh but um also i think the the, the thing that's really fascinating to me about uh what, what i learned from the movie at least about operation santa is that at least the ones we see most of the volunteers we see are not like wealthy people doing philanthropy a lot of it is people who aren't that much better you know they're they're well enough off yeah. but they have their own motivations either like they came from poverty and maybe like you know we're in operation because i don't know the name operation santa is more recent but this program has been uh in effect on the post office for like a hundred years um and so some of them like were kids who came with it a lot of them are like church groups you know who like yeah. they adopted and everyone just pitches in or like a union similar thing like the union adopts a certain number of letters and then everyone uh pitches in it seems like kind of a, a fascinating argument for you know uh the power of sort of collective action um yeah. uh and and people working together it's a a really sweet um documentary even if it is really just like it literally ends like with go to usps operation yeah. com or whatever but like it's a worthy cause i can I'm get on gonna, board with that yeah. absolutely yeah i might actually uh, i was talking to natalie about it i might uh, adopt a letter um all right next up i saw a movie Oh, okay. So, uh, Thomas Vinterberg is a, a director that I've liked since the celebration, uh, since then he's been kind of, uh, hit or miss, um, with, uh, uh, with a number of misses. And in, in fact, with things like, um, uh, did he do, did he do dear Wendy? I didn't like that. I didn't I'm, I'm like now he did dear Wendy. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like the hunt. I think it's called not the more recent, the hunt, but the Danish, the hunt. Right. Yeah. And the, the command i think it's what it ended up being called i saw yeah. i saw it was called kursk it's like fine it's like a very run-of-the-mill thing yeah. but his new movie but it's a yeah. submarine movie and i usually like those yes i do like submarine movies yeah. uh one of these days i'm going to do that monthly column uh submissions in which i one review of these a days, submarine none of these movie. days David. uh yeah um but his new one is called another round and Tyler. I loved it. Okay. It is about uh, Mads Mikkelsen. And this is one thing I like about Danish movies with Mads Mikkelsen in them is that we get to see him play things other than what he plays. Yes. Uh, he's always like villains or, or at least like very somber, like uh, people yeah. in, in non Danish movies, but uh, he gets to be um, all sorts of fun, different things in, in Danish movies, like the, in the Royal affair, he's like the, you know, uh, dashing love interest. Um, and, and here, uh, he plays a school teacher who, when we first meet him is the one thing you would never expect Mads Mikkelsen to be boring. He is dull. He has <laughs> lost his joie de vivre or whatever the Danish, uh, word for joie de vivre, uh, term for joie de vivre is, um, he, he's lost it. And then one night at a, he, he, uh, a few of the other um, teachers, male teachers, uh, get together for a 40th birthday dinner for for one of the the teachers, and they start talking about this. Apparently, this is a real like uh, um, um, 
Norwegian intellectual uh, who uh, made this argument, ridiculous argument, but that uh, people uh, have a deficiency of blood, of blood, of alcohol in their bloodstream in that uh, the actual optimal rate for uh, operation as a human being is a 0.05% blood alcohol content level. And okay. so the, this goes from theoretical talk to these basically a bunch of bored school teachers deciding let's give this a shot. Let's, yeah. let's try to live our lives maintaining a 0.05% <laughs> blood alcohol content level and uh, uh, see how it, how it, how it helps. And so it's, Obviously, things end up getting out of hand. They start upping the uh, blood sure. alcohol content. Um, but a lot of it is just this like ridiculous. It's kind of like a bro. Like a, in in some ways, it's like a frat bro comedy, except they're all middle aged men. Yeah. Um, but then it also becomes. It's I would. Uh, the movie is very funny, but I would, I would definitely qualify classify it more as a dramedy than anything than a, than a comedy because eventually this. Uh, as you might imagine, this constant drinking starts to have a negative effect on their lives and their relationships with their their families and their and their jobs. And some people are able to roll with uh, drinking all day better than others. And um, it has uh, uh, so it definitely gets soured at some point, but in a way that's still really fascinating. And then it has this ending that I won't spoil. That is uh, one of my favorite. I feel like I'm saying this way because I said the lovers rock silly games scene was one of the best scenes in any movie this year. The the final scene of another round is also one of the best scenes in any movie this year. Again, I won't spoil it, but um, the four high school teachers form the Pogues. Yeah. <laughs> um, no. Uh, yeah. That's, I watched a lot of movies about drinking, didn't I? Um, but uh, it ends up going, like it's, it, it finds a different take like than the, Oh, this one's, you know, it's joyful for a while and then it's very regretful for a while. And then it lands in a different place with that final scene that I didn't see coming and that I really loved and talk about, again, I won't spoil it, but talking, talk about seeing Mads Mikkelsen do things you would not see him do in American movies, mm. um, uh, or British movies, or, you know, non-Danish movies really, um, that, that, that final scene is, is really great. I really, really liked, uh, uh another round, uh, I feel like there was something else I was going to say about it, but, uh, oh yeah, there's, uh, it opens with, so the drinking age in, I had to look this up. The drinking age in Denmark is essentially 16. It's for, at least for like beer and wine. I think once you get into spirits, it's 18, but you can, but so these high school students are also big drinkers themselves. And the opening scene is a thing. I don't know if they really do this or it was invented for the movie, a thing called the, what they call the lake race in which teams of, I think five, maybe teams of four each have a case of beer and they have to race around the lake, but at every bench around the lake, they have to stop and everyone has to chug a beer. So by the time they get around the lake, the case is, is empty. And that yeah. opening sequence is super raucous, super fun. And I, uh, couldn't help but think like, oh, I'd be so good at that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you would. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then finally I watched the movie, the movie that's on, uh, everybody's, uh, uh, lips, uh, this, this fall and maybe on the lips of, uh, some of us when we finally participate in our fantasy award season draft, yeah. uh, this year I watched Chloe Zhao's Nomadland. Okay. Um, which have you heard of Nomadland? Uh, I've heard the name and I know okay. nothing about it though. 
Well, uh, Chloe Zhao made uh, The Writer, which I didn't see, but that was like a documentary drama hybrid. This is a very similar thing. Nomadland is based on a book of the same name that's a nonfiction book about um, sort of post-2008 financial collapse and recession. There's been an uptick in Americans, mostly older Americans who maybe are approaching or would have approached retirement age by now but can't retire, who basically give up their homes buy vans or RVs they can live in and travel around the country to where the seasonal work is. Yeah. Um, and so Francis McDormand plays one of these people, David Strathairn, Strathern, I don't know how you say his name, uh, plays another one, but most of the people, so they're like the main characters, but most of the people they interact with, again, this is a documentary drama hybrid are actual nomads. That's what they call themselves. Um, and so we've got scenes of them just talking to the camera, not in an interview way, but just like talking. Um, and then you've got scenes of Francis McDormand acting as her character off of, uh, uh, of these people all against this, the backdrop of the, beautiful american west you know um it's a uh, absolutely stunningly gorgeous movie but i would say the the second that you start to think like oh this is like a throwback to like american wanderlust and like these are like pioneers again as soon as you maybe start to think that a character actually says that to francis mcdoran and you realize how fucking condescending it is for these people who are mostly like struggling uh, yeah. you know they have no health insurance uh they work only as long as people need them uh they're not working uh, you know particularly well-paying or respected uh uh jobs um uh, uh it's a, a a very a very uh sobering movie in that way but again all of it happens against all that is so beautiful the movie is so beautiful um uh that said i don't think uh, you know when when a movie gets talked up as one of the you know end of the year sort of best of the year movies you can't help but go in with that and i feel like it's not quite that i would say because I, I kept comparing it to leave no trace and the idea sure. of 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 someone uh, uh traveling and and being reticent to make connections um and it definitely doesn't compare to leave no trace and i mean that's not fair to say close out maybe wasn't trying to make another right. leave no trace right. but um uh yeah i think francis norman and david shethern are are very good um uh and, and the movie's beautiful and it's definitely worth watching uh but it also felt maybe a little bit predetermined in a way that some documentaries do, you know, especially once you've, once you're imposing this, this narrative onto a, a seemingly documentary approach, right. Yeah. Then it becomes that thing, the thing of uh, the predetermined documentary, which is usually something I can sniff out pretty well of this person set out to make this documentary, to make this point, not to find out about this, but to make a certain point. And so no man land has a bit of that. So it definitely fell short of yeah. what I was hoping for it, but, that doesn't mean I didn't absolutely uh, uh, enjoy watching every moment of it. Um, okay. Also, uh, David Strathairn has a son in the movie who's played by David Strathairn's son. If you think, wow, that tall, lanky, uh, uh, her, yeah, yeah. <laughs> her suit, uh, man, sure looks like he could be David Strathairn's son. It is. His yeah. name's Tay. Tay Strathairn or Tay Strathairn. Huh. I could, I could see it. I'm trying to think like, 
what what would I imagine David Strathairn would name his son? It's <laughs> like I could see it being John or yeah, or Tay. Uh, it, he could go either way. Um, okay, so my last movie. Uh, I won't spend a lot of time on it. It's a every once in a while, you know, we get. Well, I regularly get like these very small, like low budget horror movies, uh, and this one uh, called Beast Mode. Um, it's sort of a horror comedy. And the reason it got, it caught my attention is because the co-director of it is, uh, somebody that I, uh, had a couple classes with at Columbia. Um, yeah. and so somebody that I, that I know, um, Columbia college, Chicago, Columbia college, Chicago, where you. I went to college and where you did your undergrad. Correct. Yes. Correct. Um, um, I just but, want people uh, thinking we went to Columbia in New York. Uh, yes, no, not at all. Nothing quite as prestigious as that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, my, my friend's name, I won't, sorry, I won't say my friend It's nothing against him, but we weren't necessarily close. We haven't kept up or anything like that, but, uh, his name is, uh, Spain, uh, Willingham or Willingham. I don't remember how you say his last name, uh, but Spain? he co-directed Spain. His first name is Spain. What a cool name. Yeah. And, uh, and he co-directed it with, uh, Chris Freeman and it is, it's a film that is, like I said, kind of a horror comedy. And what's more is if you, if you were in class with Spain and you saw like the madcap insane movies that he made where it was just like just refused to stick by basic narrative rules because it just seemed funny to do the thing that he was doing. Uh, Beast Mode makes the most sense ever. Uh, it's just like, yep, he made a feature film and it's this. Uh, it is fairly cheap. Uh, it is over the top in ways that sometimes I find like a little desperate uh other times i feel like okay this i see what they're doing it doesn't really work but you know it's it's not necessarily a film i can recommend but at the same time if you go in with a very specific mindset which is to say if you were to think if you were to think in terms of say john waters now it's not a, it certainly is not that um but that level of energy and just that unabashed hmm unashamed willingness to go completely over the top in the gore, in the performances, um, and just have these grotesque characters, uh, grotesque often even before they turn into monsters. Um, just, just being, just doing whatever it is, whatever feels right to them in the moment and just clearly letting the actors, which includes like C Thomas Howell and James Hong and Ray wise, James Duvall, um, Spain, for example, Spain himself is in the film sporting uh, an obvious wig. <laughs> and I'm not sure why I, I genuinely just think that Spain and, and his co-director thought this will be funny. And then they just did it. And it's that kind of thing that like it doesn't always work. In fact, I would venture to say it it only occasionally works. But I still kind of respect the instinct to just to just take all limitations off outside. Of course there are financial limitations, but uh, I, I could see, you know, I looked at reviews and some people are like, this movie is awful. And I totally get that. And then other people say this movie is amazing. And I totally get that. <laughs> I fall in the middle where I think it's not always effective, but I do kind of respect their, again, their willingness to just do whatever they wanted to do in the moment. So uh, it's called beast mode. If, Please do not like if if that sounds interesting to you. Please don't take this as a ringing endorsement. It's entirely possible you will watch the movie and hate every single second of it, but you also might love it. It's it's really that kind of thing. So uh, so I'd say just 
take it with a grain of salt. 